know if you like that song or not, but I think it's a wonderful song. <laughs> I really appreciate the lyrics, and I appreciate the tune and the message. It goes along perfectly with our message today, which is from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I believe verses 14 to 21. So probably a familiar section of scripture for most, but uh, I don't think I've ever preached on this section. We've definitely looked at probably each of these individual verses at one time or another. So the message from this today is entitled A New Creation in Christ, and uh, which we are, right? We're a new creation in Christ. When we come place our faith and trust in Christ, we become a new creation. And the good thing about that too is that it's not as if we become a, a new creation day after day, but we know that from Lamentations that God's mercies and his faithfulness to us are new every day. So it's like we are a new creation every day. So we're going to be talking about that. And uh, I guess uh, maybe it's kind of appropriate for New Year's to preach about being a new creation in Christ. Uh, also because every year, in fact, every day, if we so desire it, we have an opportunity to start over with Christ, right? I mean, his mercies never end. We always have the opportunity, if we fail the day before, to start over with Christ. And so with that, it is the beginning of a new year. And so it is an opportunity for us to kind of look back at the past year and look forward to the next year. And I hope you are looking forward to the next year. And not only what might be happening in the news, but what might happen in your own spiritual life, how you might grow this year in Christ. I know, I know in the news there's a lot of anxiousness about the new year. Is it gonna be a repeat of 2020? A lot of people say you have to say 2022 really quickly, otherwise it sounds like 2022, like movie, you know, like second sequel, you know? But uh, you know, I think with us, we can be very optimistic about the year to come because God has a plan, doesn't he? It's not, it's not, left up, it's not uh, being left up to random circumstances, but God definitely has a plan for us. We hear in Jeremiah 29, 11, he first said this to the people of Israel, but I believe it applies to us to here today as well because we are his people. He says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future and a hope and so we should take that at heart, I believe, and we should look forward to this next year in hope. We also know that, and I wrote down here just some notes, that God's plan sometimes is complex. And sometimes it involves difficult times and it involves things that maybe are difficult for us to understand. And this also is in his scripture in Isaiah chapter 55, verses 8. And nine, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So I say that God's plan is complex. It's simple in that he wants to bless us. He wants to give us a future. He wants to give us a hope for this next coming year. But also he's not saying that there might not be twists and turns and difficulties that we must go through in order to get to that eventual goal of a future hope. And so our human understanding can't 
comprehend that sometimes, right? God in his majesty and his sovereignty, he's able to see this next year and he knows exactly what's going to happen and he knows why it's going to happen and he's going to use all of that for our good. But it's difficult for us to accept that, but we must do that by faith, right? He is greater than us and so we do this by faith. And so his will this next coming year may include some suffering, heartache and difficulty in our nation but this is due to the fallen nature of man and to the fallen nature of creation. And God does this all without ever himself committing a sin, but he does it for our good and he is working for our good. And so with that in mind, we come to our scripture for today. So it's 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 14 to 21. Let's stand and give honor to God's word and get our circulation going and, and uh, get our mind focused on the scripture today because it truly is a remarkable section of scripture from 2 Corinthians, a book that we've not spent a whole lot of time in, but listen to these words as I read them and be encouraged by them even before we start talking about them. This is, of course, Paul, the, the apostle, and he starts out and he says, for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this scripture that you have in your sovereignty given us today to look at and to study and to try to understand and apply to our lives. And so in order to do that, we ask you that you would help us to understand this in its fullness today and be able to see how it applies to us individually, but also as a church. And with understanding, we pray that you would give us wisdom to know how to internalize this within our own individual lives. And that just simply means that we want to understand it fully, but have it not only change our understanding, but to change our heart and our behavior. And we pray for the strength and the courage that we must have in order to apply this to our life, because this is world-changing stuff. This is very dramatic, gospel-changing, information that we are getting here today and, and we pray that it would have its intended effect, that it would encourage us for this next coming year and that it would help us 
to be ambassadors for Christ in this world. And we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, we've already mentioned kind of what this is about today. It's, it's nothing new. It's nothing dramatic. It's probably nothing that you have not heard before. But when we trust and believe Christ as our Lord and Savior, we become a new creation in Christ. And this is very good news for us because our old ways will not get us to heaven. Amen. <laughs> if you think of the way that you lived before you came to know Christ, we definitely know that that way will not get us to heaven. It's not by our works, but it's by God's grace. This life that we have been given, this new life in Christ, this new creation, has certain characteristics, and we're going to look at some of those here today. But we see this all over Scripture, this idea of being a new creation. And sometimes the Bible uses different uh, examples or different analogies, different language in order to speak about these things. But we see in the scripture today that it's referred to as a new creation. Just looking at verse 16, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The oldest passed away. Behold, the new has come. In other places in scripture, it teaches us about this as well. As I said, it uses other terms in the gospel of John and in the epistles of John. And Peter uses this as well, but it's referred to as the new birth, which is a new beginning, right? It's a, it's a new beginning as well. Jesus himself said, truly, truly, I say to you, speaking to Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And both those, along with Paul, are speaking of a new creation or a new birth which is a beginning, uh, the oldest passed away, behold, the new has come. It's even spoken of in the Old Testament. In Ezekiel, we've looked at this verse quite a bit as well, but it refers to God giving us a new heart, taking out a heart of stone and giving us a heart of flesh. He says in verses 25 and 26 of Ezekiel 36, he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall become clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. So even in the Old Testament, but we're not really finished with the New Testament as well. In Titus 3, 4 and 5 it, and 6, it, respeak, it refers to this new birth or new creation as regeneration. And it says specifically, it says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. So we have the new creation, we have a new heart, we have being born again, we have regeneration, all referring to the same thing. It's a drastic, dramatic change in our life whereby God sovereignly enters into our life and takes away the old and gives us the new and we become a new creation in Christ. And I, I wrote down here, well, what does that specifically mean? And so I tried to use some of this language 
to give us a better idea of what this new life is like. And so the first thing I came up with was what was formerly dead, God has brought to life. Think about that. He's, he's taken something that is dead, which is us spiritually. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the warning was that you will die, right? He said, if you, if you don't obey my commandments, you will die. Well, they didn't physically die. They started to die physically after they, uh, after they sinned. But spiritually, they were already separated from God when they were cast out of the garden of Eden. <coughs> And so Ephesians chapter two as well, in the past couple of weeks, we've gone to Ephesians chapter two, and it talks about how we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's exactly what our lives were like before we came to know Christ. And the reason I mention this and, and make much of this is because our joy in our Christian life comes from what God has done in our life, right? The amazing thing that he has done in our life. And if we don't see it as amazing, then we're not gonna get the full impact of the joy that we should have. We were dead, (laughs) unable to respond even to the gospel until he made us alive. That's what the scripture says. It says that we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, but God made us alive. Amen. And so, when we realize that it should maximize the amount of joy because we understand the depths from which he has brought us. In speaking of someone who must be born again, it means speaking to what has yet to be born is born not of a physical birth this time, but of a heavenly heritage or born of the spirit, right? So when we are a new creation, when we've been born again, It is by the Spirit. Nicodemus asked Jesus, do I have to go back into the woman's womb and be born again? And Nicodemus had it all wrong. And Jesus said, no, this is not a physical birth. This is a spiritual birth, which is also a miracle, right? We have the Holy Spirit within us. We should rejoice at that. And then... He talks also about, of course, the heart that is taken out, the heart of stone, and we're given a heart of flesh. And what does this mean? It means that a heart or a place within us, our conscience, that which motivates us, our heart, which was hard and immovable, God makes soft and moldable. Amen? (laughs) Do we all have hearts that are soft and moldable today? We should, right? If we are Christians, we should have a heart that is soft and moldable. And when we hear God's word like this, we recognize it for God's word and we're willing to change our attitudes. One other thing, the old has passed away and a bright future lies ahead. Think about that. A bright future lies ahead. And I say that because Jesus said, I come that they might have life and have it more abundantly. And that doesn't mean prosperity, folks, in the sense of of money and riches, but it's talking about the life that we have together as believers in the church. The 
fellowship time that we enjoyed just a few nights ago um, at the Stallards. We had a wonderful time there, and I thank them for holding that. But we had a wonderful time of fellowship there. Those relationships that we have working for the church throughout the years, uh, our families, all that is part of the abundant life that Jesus has promised those who have become a new creation. Basically, Becoming a new creation, it means a new start in life. The slate has been totally wiped clean and we're able to start over and start over with Christ. Amen. And as I said before, it's not only does this happen, it, the new birth only happens one time. But we mess up even after that, right? And we still need a fresh start and we have a fresh start because his mercies never fail us. And so there's certain characteristics that I wrote down from the scripture here for us today so that we might know what this new life is about and what it's like. And the first one is that in our new life, we have a new motive towards serving God. We have a new motive towards serving God. We may have tried in our old life to serve God, but I can tell you from experience myself, and just from human nature that it was probably works-based. I'll do this for God, he will bless me in return. I'll do this for God and he will favor me in somehow by giving me salvation. And so this changes everything. When we come to know Christ and we're a new creation, he says that it's the love of Christ that controls us or constrains us or compels us. I love that. The love of Christ is what controls us. And we love Christ because he became sin on our account, didn't he? Just like the song said, we just sang that song if you're listening to the lyrics. And that's directly from verse 21. Look at verse 21 again, if you have your Bible still open to that. It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of our God. In other words, Jesus, when he went to that cross, he took our sin upon himself, even though he had never sinned, and he was punished for sin. Not his own, but he was punished for our sin in order that we might become the righteousness of God. It's so contradictory, isn't it, to what the world would have us believe about religion and especially about Christianity. Usually the world gets it all wrong. To them, it's all about good works, how well you do. If you lead a good life, if you live at least a, a life comparable to the person next to you, then you're going to make it into heaven. But this says that our assurance is not based upon our works, but it's based upon Jesus who knew no sin and yet took on our sin that we might become the righteousness of God. And then he died for us. Verse 15, he died for all. I don't know, I think we get, I think maybe me, I get used to hearing that. It doesn't have the impact. Who am I that Christ should die for me? Nobody. It just shocks me because I'm not, I'm not like Christ. I'm not as good as many people around me. 
and I, cer I certainly don't deserve it, but he died for us. He died for us. And if there's any mistake about this, verse 18, another reason why we should love God is that all this is from God, right? None of it comes from us. None of it comes from us. Totally undeserved, totally all of God. And so our response, our motive now for serving God should be one of love. For the love of Christ controls us. So when I read that, I'm always, there's a slight difference in how you can interpret those, right? You can interpret it as being Christ's love for us controls us. Or you can interpret that our love for Christ controls us, right? <laughs> Which one is it? I believe it's both. I believe it's both. That Christ loved us. He gave his life for us. We recognize that and we love him in return. And that's why we serve him. And that's why he wants to have a relationship with us, right? It's not necessarily about our obedience, it is about our obedience, but our obedience only demonstrates our great love for him. And that's what he wants and desires in a relationship. Our love for Christ is what controls us. We've concluded that one has died, therefore all have died. So we have died to our old way of living. Number two, characteristic, we have died to our old way of living. Verse 17 says this, I just read number 14 where it says one has died for all, therefore all have died. And verse 17 says the old has passed away, behold the new has come. The old has passed away. A lot of times in the New Testament, this is symbolically referred to as us taking off old garments and putting on clean white garments. We're leaving that old life away, right? We're leaving it and it's passed away. We're no longer living that way. And our life has changed. We're putting on the new white robes of righteousness that are given to us by Christ. The new has come. And this life is different, right? <laughs> so this life is different. And Christ expects things differently from us. Now that we have the spirit within us, he expects us to grow in that relationship, to become more like him, to become more like Christ. And we are to live our life for Christ. That's number three. We in our new life live for Christ. It gets hard sometimes, right? Preaching the gospel. Because it, it is a free gift, right? Amen. But Jesus, after we receive the gift, requires great things of us. We no longer live our lives for ourselves. Right? <laughs> That's what the scripture says. We're no, it says, one has died for all, therefore all have died. Verse number 15, and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. We are to live not our own life, life of following after Jesus Christ. Paul put it in his own words in Galatians. He said, I have been crucified with Christ. 
It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is very consistent throughout his writings. He says it to the Corinthians. He says it to the Galatians that our new life in Christ is one that we live for Jesus Christ. And that means forsaking our life. But it's not a life of drudgery, right? It's a life of great joy and happiness. It's the best life Amen. for us. Amen. You know, when Jesus says, come and follow me and deny yourself and pick up your cross and follow me, he's not asking you to go into a life of drudgery. He's saying you are leaving a life of drudgery. You're entering into a life of joy and great happiness and following Jesus Christ. And if you have truly followed Jesus Christ, you know that. It is a life of great joy and happiness. We live our new life. We live it for Christ. And then our, as a new creation, we regard no one according to the flesh. I had to think about this one a little bit. What does it mean we regard no one according to the flesh? Well, I think it means that we no longer view them from a physical viewpoint only we see everyone physically out here and we interact with people physically but there's a spiritual dimension that we must recognize in each and every person's life we need to see each and every person's need for Christ they have a spiritual need for Christ we do care about their physical needs but more importantly their spiritual need in Christ and we should care deeply about their salvation and act accordingly. And so sometimes I, I think we, uh, I do this too, but wherever we go, we're surrounded by people and maybe we just assume that they've heard about the gospel. Maybe we just assume that they are going to heaven. Uh, we need to care more deeply than that, right? And investigate and ask them about their spiritual journey and have they received Christ as their Lord and Savior? And we do that because, number five, we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Amen? Amen. <laughs> yes. It's what the scripture says. That he was reconciling the world to himself, verse number 19. And he did that, of course, by dying on the cross and drawing people to himself. People come to him and they're reconciled or they're made friends with him and Christ. But it says after that, it says not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Think about that. Think about the responsibility that God has entrusted to us. We are the only, the only way that people will hear about Christ. He could flash the gospel across the sky and write it in words so that every person could see. But he didn't do that. He chose to entrust us with the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. And what that means is that God is making his appeal to people, to lost people, but he's making it through us. It doesn't say through anything else. It just says that he is making it through us. 
We implore you, Paul says, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. We have to be reconciled to God first before we can lead others to Christ. Amen. So what does this all mean? What does it mean to have a new life in Christ? Just a way of conclusion and closing. I wrote down some things about what we've already talked about. Your old self is dead. It's gone. The debt that you owe your old self, your sin has been paid by Christ and you are righteous in Christ. Someone say hallelujah. <laughs> we are righteous in Christ, right? When he looks at us, now as Christians, he sees us as totally righteous. We have the righteousness of Christ. What does it mean to have a new life in Christ? You have forsaken your old way of life. That doesn't mean we never do anything that we you know, have always done. We still go out to eat. We still go to work. We still do a lot of the things with our family that we've always done. We still go to movies. Doesn't mean that we don't have inner times of entertainment, but we do all with the mindset of serving Christ, right? Amen. A funny thing that when I was became a, a Christian in college and became part of the Navigator Ministry, everything was everything we did was had some kind of focus on Christ. So, you know, first thing we did, I think, is we went skiing at Paoli. I think Paoli is open. We went to Colorado once, but we went to Paoli and and they said, and you know, our, our leaders said, well, we want you to have a good time. We want you to fellowship with each other. But we also want you, when you're on that ski lift and you're going up with another person you don't know, try to make an impact for Christ somehow. You know, be intentional about it. They taught us to be very intentional. Whatever you do, be intentional. And so we did that. We would go up on the ski lift and we'd talk to people about Christ and I don't know of anyone at that time that came to know Christ, but you're planting seeds, right? You're, you're planting seeds so that the next person who comes by will bear some fruit. So we need to have that intentionality. We need to have forsaken our old way of life and now looking toward our new life. You no longer live for yourself, but you now live for Christ. And living for Christ means to be his ambassador of peace and reconciliation. So within the church, outside of the church, something that's maybe not exactly what we want to do in our culture, but we're to be peacemakers. But we never sacrifice truth, right? <laughs> but we are to be peacemakers. And so I'm very thankful today that it's the beginning of the new year. I'm very thankful that we have an opportunity to start over again. I'm very thankful that I am a new creature in Christ, not because of my works, but because of what Christ has done for me. Amen. Let's pray. Yeah. Father, we thank you so much for this time. We thank you for uh, your words, and we thank you that I had the opportunity to talk about them today, and I pray that uh, they would have your intended effect and that your spirit uh, would be working in our group today to let us know how we might change our lives in order to better fit this illustration that you have given to us. 
And we want to glorify you in all that we do. And uh, we pray that you would help us to do that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Amen.